Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So the, uh, the tallest building in the South Georgia town where I grew up is five stories high and was built in 1917. It has been said that you can see straight into Florida from the roof of the historic business exchange building. Now the state line is 12 miles south, so I have my doubts, but then again, it is likely the tallest point until you get to the Capitol building in Tallahassee. In, in Thomasville, there are many fine homes. That's my hometown. But as a kid, it was the trees that were most awe-inspiring. The stately great oaks, the towering pines, colossal magnolias, brightly colored crepe myrtles, filling in the gaps. Once outside a town, like so much of this nation, it's farmlands. Traveling on I-75 or, or I-10 in either direction, you see acres of, of cotton and peanuts and corn and soybean and pine stands. I remember well the first time that I set out north with my family through those fields and trees to the big city of Atlanta to visit my uncle. After hours of rural landscape, the fast food restaurants and gas stations of the suburbs began to appear, and then the outlet malls, and then the traffic. The lanes began to spread out in either direction. Suddenly, overpasses crisscrossed overhead and, and cars cut across multiple lanes. The atmosphere in our car became tense as my dad gripped the wheel, trying to make sense of the egg exits popping up out of nowhere on both sides of the highway. My mom loudly gave a various contradictory directions with alternating confidence and then tears. And finally, rose out of the chaos, a sea of skyscrapers. We were in the city, and I was in awe. There were people all over from... Good to know. <laughs> hmm. let, me, let me see what's going on. We're connected to something better than the internet. So there we are in, in Atlanta. There were people all over the place. It, they were from all over. It was loud. It was busy. I felt thrown into the middle of, of a washing machine of people all tossed together, and I loved it. My young, extroverted brain was lit up like one of those skyscrapers at night, and it was noise all around. And then, then we went into the Waffle House, and all was right in the world. Now, my parents saved a lot of money on trips to Disney World, for this was all of the magical kingdom I needed. Sixteen years later, I would call that place home, 
and find a life and a call to ministry, a wife and a child among the chaos of that city, and in time, a call away. Jesus and his disciples stood in the hills outside the city of Jerusalem. Jesus was the son of a rural village carpenter. His followers, a small mob of fishermen and farmers and villagers from the hills and the plains. This is the place that Jesus had been leading them, the place he'd set his face toward. Jerusalem was not a foreign place to most of them. It was the center of Jewish life, a home of the massive temple complex, the local seat of the imperial Roman government. Luke told us early in the gospel that Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of the Passover. It was there he'd been circumcised at eight days old, where as an infant, the prophet Simeon took Jesus in his arms and, and danced him around and sang and blessed the family, saying, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many nations. And then looking at his mother Mary added, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It was in Jerusalem during the Passover celebration that a 12-year-old Jesus terrified his parents by disappearing in the city for days while in great anxiety they searched for him. They found him finally in the temple sitting among the rabbis asking them questions. Now, as a grown rabbi himself, with miraculous gifts of healing and teaching, forgiveness, compassion, and inclusion, it was for this city that Jesus wept and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. I tell you, you won't see me again until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. For his whole life, Jesus had a love affair with this holy city, dancing in and out of her gates. For Jerusalem and all of those who found their worship life there, he pined and prayed and never belonged. In the gospel reading, we heard at the beginning of worship, as the procession of praise, the throwing and spreading of cloaks, the shouts of glory reached the gate of the city, Luke says, shockingly, Jesus didn't give a rousing speech to activate his followers to this final push of conquest of the empire. He didn't give a pep talk. Luke says, he came near, he saw the city, and Jesus began to weep saying, if you, even you, had recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Why the weeping of our Lord amidst the praise and adulation of his people? Why a lament of regret at this moment that they've all been waiting for when they, they swing open the gates and their Savior finally takes control of the world and our lives from the powers of politics and corrupt religion and suffering bodies and minds? The city looms, 
Through the gates flow so many thousands of people flooding into the city for the annual Passover festival. And clogging the way, here is a band of hollering disciples, a pile of their clothes, and a weeping Messiah. It's already becoming a mess. We can only guess what doubts about this man and his mission these disciples have suppressed. What warnings and teachings of Jesus they ignored or misunderstood along the way, preferring their own vision for Jesus, of a ruler who would make them powerful in the world, performing their own vision, preferring their own vision for Jesus. Right all of their wrongs, give them their due. So what expectations of Jesus do we uh, throw out before him to trample on today? What do we say of this man whose words of forgiveness, calls to repentance, demands for justice and radical redemption fill the pages of the Bible? What do we say of them? How often his name is called on in the pursuit of, of cruelty and injustice that he flatly decried. We gather on Palm Sunday and we wave our branches reenacting this parade of hope and confused expectations knowing good and well what comes next. In just a few moments we will sing together a hymn which says, Sometimes they strew his way and and his sweet praises sing, remembering all the day hosannas to their king. Then crucify is all their breath and for his death they thirst and cry what an odd people we are that we let ourselves be led to this time and time again hoping it goes another way knowing that the only path that we take to reach our actual hope is through all of our disappointments our failures our betrayals And that it's Jesus who leads us here. If only we could see this time. Jesus knows well our patterns. And while we are often fooled by our desires, Jesus knows our hearts, hearts that belong to him, hearts made in the image of a good and gracious God. Hearts whose longings, while not always rightly ordered, are ultimately longings for what he brings. It's a messy journey this life and faith it's a mess but what we must remember among the noise of our own professions of faith our own confessions of sin and failings is that jesus is in the middle of it all working things out for an ending that will blow us all away you see luke makes clear while everyone in the crowd will be shocked that Jesus turns out to be exactly what he said he'd be all along and nothing they expected. Shocked that they could so quickly and viciously turn on one who did nothing but serve and value and love and heal them. Shocked that he would actually suffer and die at the hands of their own violent tendencies and systems. Jesus is not shocked but continuing to chart the course of redemption. He has a plan, 
What looks like chaos and failure to the rest of us does not stop Jesus' plan, which has been unfolding from the very beginning. You see, he, he knows where the cult is to be found. He knows what will be said by the owners and the disciples. He knows our current praises and are still mired in our limited view of its success through human means. He knows that if we could only allow ourselves to give his peace a chance, he said, if you could just recognize today the things that actually make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He weeps because he knows our ways will continue to lead us through suffering and that need not always be the case. He weeps because you did not recognize the time of the visitation from God. But his weeping is not out of hopelessness, only out of compassion for we who suffer so much and cause so much unnecessary pain. But remember this, beloved, his tears are for our tears. And our hope is because of his hope for us. For through all of this chaos, confusion, hurt, and betrayal, the noise of this journey, Jesus sees the grace that is wrapped around it all. If we could see what Jesus sees, we'd find grace in every detail. George Gershwin uh, was a great composer in the last century. I'm enamored uh, in his, uh, of his piece, Rhapsody in Blue, uh, Ellen I, reminded me that it was, she wanted to walk down the aisle to that song, but it's 16 minutes long, so it would have been a slow walk. Those who knew Gershwin said that he had a gift to come up with whole pieces of music in his head away from the piano. He traveled with a, a notepad in order to jot down musical ideas created in the rattle of a subway, in the din of the discussion in an office, in the auto returning from a midnight drive, anywhere else that composers snatch airs out of the air. Gershwin said, I frequently hear music in the very heart of noise. It has been said that he heard the complete construction of Rhapsody in Blue from beginning to end while riding on a train from New York to Boston. The miracle of this story of the journey with Jesus to the city of Jerusalem is that, that what he sees underneath all of the drama, all of the chaos, all of the praise turned to violence is the complete construction of our whole story of salvation from birth to glorious new birth. Where we hear rattle and din, where we see darkness and defeat, Jesus sees our first infant cries, our squeals of delight, our shrieks of horror, and our final breaths. And in the midst of it all, in spite of it all, drawn from the well of it all, he has composed a masterpiece. Our life together from beginning to new beginning. Through the gates of a magnificent city with the praise to the hill of Calvary. Through the cross, through the grave, into heaven. 
So imagine now, woven in Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, what Jesus hears as he enters these gates. Just when we think we understand, just when we think it's all over, well, I frequently hear music in the very heart of noise, Gershwin said. Jesus said, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. 